Oh, hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer and David Bryant. David, this is the first episode that we have done in three years. That's all I'm going to say, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yes, and you yeah. know I, I am a stickler for fact, and that is fact. It's the first one we've done for three years. Who watches the World Cup? It's, well, in 2018, it was the only podcast in the world, as I like to say, that compared the footballing prowess of the nations in the World Cup with their political scandals. But that was in 2018, and the podcasting, podcasting market was already pretty uh, oversaturated. And now it's three years later and it's like a fucking tsunami of podcasts out there. Well, yeah, a certain pandemic certainly didn't uh, help, giving all these people lots of time in their houses to do nothing except for hop on Zoom or Skype or Teams or whatever and go, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast. People like us are like, I've got a great idea for a podcast that no one else is doing. Yeah, and we had a great idea three years ago and we're going to try and force it back into action because it's not even the World Cup we're here to talk about. Dave, what are we What are we going to talk about this Euro year? Euro 2021. I'm going to call it Euro 2020 because I think that's how it's been uh, branded and all the merchandise is not going to be changed. So just because it's <laughs> taking place a year later than it's supposed to, it's yeah, still those, Euro those... 2020. And for posterity... They will be known, whoever wins will be known as the winner of Euro 2020, not of Euro 2021. This, to me, stinks of corporate stooges who don't want to spend any more of that extra sponsorship money to update that zero to a one because the world has gone to hell. So thank God there's football coming up because (laughs) after the year that we've all had, uh, it's going to, I've been excited for this. For ages, like the the World Cup that the we did, uh, we did the podcast for, was the twenty eighteen World Cup in in Russia, when at that time uh, we were talking about Russia and I was living in China, and then six months later I moved to Russia and lived in Russia after saying some pretty fucking horrible stuff <laughs> about Russia in that having listened to back, having listened back to uh, to what we were saying in those episodes, like I was pretty harsh. On, on Russia and then after having lived there I wasn't wrong <laughs> I wondered which way you were going to go with that yeah well we'll definitely come back to Russia because they are going to feature prominently I think in in both the political and footballing conversations that we have about the Euro 2020 but is this one that you're looking forward to outside the pandemic or are you just like ah the squads ah, football's not what it used to be I remember when Madonna was playing in the Euros. And I'd be like, Dave, how is that even possible? <laughs> that is confusing on a number of levels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, it's actually, funnily enough, I think as of today or yesterday, I've, I've just got excited about the Euros. I've always, I was always looking forward to it. I was glad when it, uh, that it was upcoming. And tournament, summer tournaments were always good fun. And I think actually us doing a podcast that we did last time that really accentuated the enjoyment of it and the excitement and the drama. And because I was way more invested and also abreast of everything because mm. I wanted to be uh, for the sake of, you know, sounding like I know what I'm talking about. 
Um, so now I'm starting to do that again for this one, and I'm like, yeah, there's so much to talk about. Isn't there so much interesting stuff? There's drama, and now that this is, we're recording this the day after the England's England squad was finally whittled down to 26. Um, so I think it was that was maybe a bit of a threshold that now we've passed. I'm like, oh, okay, that means it's it's soon. It's it's not not long now. Yeah, and maybe we coming. should. Maybe I don't know if you want to to tease or reveal this yet, but for a certain portion of this tournament, we will be in the same place in not only in the same country as we are now yeah but except separated from by hundreds of miles i actually have no idea how many miles it is i know i i drove there not long ago but i've got no idea <laughs> it feels yeah. like hundreds it of miles feels like thousands but yeah. yeah for for a short spell during the euros we will be staying together watching the games together recording together and that i think is if that's just blown up the excitement even more yeah, that's that's going to be really magical because having listened back to uh, to the other the podcast that we've done, both the World Cup and uh, our other podcast, Daddy Issues, that we do, the ones that we record together are normally very high energy and uh, and excitable, and you can't you just can't get that over uh, Skype or, or Zoom or whatever. So um, yeah, but there might be conversations about whether Michael Phelps could outswim a shark. <laughs> Uh, as happened in a previous podcast that was not swimming related at all. No. But you know, we will try our best to stay football focused. And Very good. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you. So let's jump into this then. Because as as you said, we've got a, just over a week until the Euros start. Um, so I don't want to get too much into the politics side of it now because that will erupt when um, we compare the groups and like the individual matches and things. Um, but the England squad was just announced. What did you think? Was there anybody on the squad? You were like, what the hell are they doing here? And was there, were there any surprises? I have to say my limited knowledge of football. When they said, Gareth Southgate, he's announced four left backs. I thought that's a pretty, a pretty extraordinary number of, uh, sorry, of right backs. It was of right backs. Yes. Yes, Sorry. (laughs) Yes, like that's a pretty extraordinary number of, of right backs, especially because he's only got two left backs. So why has he got twice as... What's he doing on the right wing, Dave? Is he a Nazi? Because <laughs> he's so right wing. Yeah. Uh, well, I think this is just... This, that's a symptomatic of an embarrassment of riches that we have with at right back uh, with England. Um, for some reason, some all these world uh, world-class quality right backs are all sort of coming through at the same time so it hasn't hasn't been an easy decision for him I'm sure but something that really kind of baffled me um with about this whole right back thing so because we've got you've got Kyle Walker from Man City you've got um Kieran Trippier at Atletico Madrid you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold from Liverpool and you've got Reese James um at Chelsea the youngest and, and most uh, inexperienced of the lot Reese James but has been undoubtedly an outstanding performer this year for Chelsea but then people, all the papers were spinning it around. Um, will Trent Alexander-Arnold go? Like, is he even going to go? Because it, Gareth Southgate left him out of the England squad for the last batch of friendlies. Um, was it friendlies or whatever they were, the last batch of games? And that was a surprise because as much as he didn't have a great first half of the season, he started to come in to find his form again in the second half of the season. And actually, he was amazing. The last um, couple of months of the Premier League season, he was outstanding and showing what all of his qualities are with his ability going forward and his delivery from the right, both from dead balls and just um, in open play. 
So it it baffled me that the press were like trying to turn into some great drama about whether or not Trent was going to go. When to me, I was like, of course he's going to fucking go. Like, if any one of the four of them is going to be cut, it's least likely to be him. Because in, in Liverpool's Champions League winning season and in their Premier League winning season, he was arguably the great, the best right back in the whole of Europe. And he was mm. like in 20 or something. Just unbelievable. So even if he had a bit of a blip, a bad half of the season, and there's, maybe he won't Maybe he won't start. Like we, I guess we can't really tell what um, situation is there, but there's no way he wasn't going to go. Like he's just too good. You wouldn't leave him at home when he's that good. So it's still a surprise that he's taken four. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. The only thing you can say is there are there is some versatility. Is, I, that, is that the Trent Alexander-Arnold argument, as I like to call it? The T-A-A-A, where oh, you, yeah. say, you say, right, we've got, we've got four right-backs. Like, we, do we really need to, tra- to take Trent Alexander-Arnold as well? Which is another T-A-A-A. And you go, well, <laughs> actually, uh, we've, we've, we're taking about 25 defenders and we're only taking, like, five, how many? Yeah, five. Five midfielders. Yeah. They've broken so, it down as five, yeah. yeah. You know, people are, people are um, what's what I'm looking for, versatile. Yeah, so, I, I always thought of Jack Grealish more as a midfielder than a forward, necessarily, in, in my mind. But Yeah, yeah there are people I, who can play all around. So like, if, the, if the question is, if you've got three right-backs, why are you taking Trent as well? I think it actually would probably be more like, if you've got three right-backs, do you need to take Reese James as well? Because, okay. like I say, he's the youngest, he's the most inexperienced and doesn't have the same quality um, in terms of going forward and creating opportunities as Trent does. But, you know, I, I can see why it kind of makes some sense because of the versatility thing. Because Kieran Trippier um, played right wing back, you'll remember, at the, at the World Cup. I played amazingly. And mm. even then, it was kind of a question of who's going to play him or Kyle Walker. So Kyle Walker played on the right of a three, a back three, and then we played with wing backs. So Kyle Walker, yeah, is a right back, but he may well play on the right of a three again um, with John Stones and Harry Maguire, if Harry Maguire is fit. Um, but he can also play at left wing back, and Reese James can play at centre half and at right wing back. Uh, Trent, I'm sure, can play on the left as well. Um, so there, there's not like um, there's one position that only, that these four guys can only play. They they can be moved around. I'm sure one of them has played in midfield as well. Um, and yeah, like you say, only two left backs in Chilwell and and Luke Shaw. But then Bukayo Saka has been listed as a forward, but he's played at left left back, left wing back for Arsenal as well. So I think we've got plenty of cover, let's say, in in uh, across the defence. Okay, looking at the the squads themselves, it's really nice to see some players coming through from squads that we otherwise we it's unlikely we would have seen because it's a very traditional thing for english players to not leave england especially but this time we've got as you said kieran trippier's at atletico madrid did they just win the la liga this season they atletico did they madrid? they won it by like a point or two points yeah. In the last so, day of the season, yeah. Yeah, so Kieran Trippier, like assuming that he's been playing for Atletico Madrid, which I can't say one way or the other, but I'm assuming that he has if he's named in the squad, like that's he's performing at like the highest level. Then you've got Jude Bellingham, who's at Borussia Dortmund, and then even players like uh, Calvin Phipps, uh, who's at Leeds, Connor Cody, who's at Wolves, like again, Jack Grealish at, at Villa. Um 
it's not just a case of, oh, yeah, everyone's from, like, three different teams. Like, it's a relatively diverse squad of, like, Premier League and then, you know, reaching out into Europe as well, which seems interesting to me. Yeah, that's certainly something that we haven't seen much of in the past. You're right. And it's a strange, the strange culture of England where if you want to be, uh, oh, English players don't like not going abroad. You're, you're, you're right. I'm not sure why that, that is. And, but it's nice to see that some European clubs are, maybe it's, it's on the, on the, not the fault, but on the, um, the side of the clubs that they weren't looking to England to sign players. Whereas now clubs like Borussia Dortmund and other German clubs are signing up teenage England, English players and developing them like Jaden Sancho. Mm. Uh, they did with him and I think there's talk that he might be coming back to England but there has been every summer since he kind of burst on the scene um, yeah Jude Bellingham you said about surprises he is one I'd say he's only 17 he's only played twice for England before now and he's again had a good season with Dortmund I think they won the, uh, the Bundesliga but there Dortmund are other... won the Bundesliga yeah yeah did they? No, they, of course they wouldn't have done because Bayern Munich uh, are in Germany. <laughs> I was going to say, I, 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 I remember yeah. when, when Dortmund did win the Bundesliga and I was no. like, that was like, like that, someone who wasn't Munich winning the Bundesliga was like the one time that Leicester did it. Yeah, it's like yeah. a reverse a reverse <laughs> situation in Germany. You're right, when you're someone right. Someone who isn't Munich. They won something. I think they won one of the cups. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so they've had a fairly successful season. But then to take, yeah, a 17-year-old you know, kind of shades of uh, mm. shades of Theo Walcott in yeah. the World Cup, except he was while he was seventeen, he hadn't even made his debut for for Arsenal when he was called up for the World right. Cup squad. So it's not quite the same. Jude Bellingham's had a lot of um, lot of game time this year, but there were other midfield players that I think maybe we um, would have been wiser to take. Uh, and it, and you mentioned surprises: Jesse Lingard not going, mm-hmm. and James Ward Prowse from the midfielders. I think they're they're strangely strangely overlooked and. Um, yeah, it's, it's those those two maybe are, I'm a little bit biased about because I'm a kind of a split West Ham and Southampton fan, mm-hmm. and Jesse Lingard has no doubt had a great resurgence in his loan spell at West Ham this year. But I mean, he played what like 15 games over the last two years, and sure they were good. He scored goals. Maybe I know that um, Southgate likes him, and there's a good chance he'll play in the first couple of the pre-tournament friendlies. I think he said um, it's a chance for him to prove him wrong. <laughs> Not that it's going to help because he's already been left out, but you know, maybe you can just go into the summer on a good on a good note, and you know, maybe um, set himself up for the next season where he can really get back into the fold. But James Ward Prowse's delivery from free kicks and corners is almost unsurpassed by anyone. The only person I could think of in that squad who was anything like as good is Trent Alexander Arnold. But if you put it all on one guy. What if he gets injured or mm. he goes off in a game, and at the end of the game you want to rely, you want to bring on. If we really need a goal and like the playing the the kind of football that England like to play isn't working, you'd what we tend to do is throw up a big guy and then just whip balls in. So we'd probably bring on Dominic Calvert Lewin, then you get James Ward Prowse into midfield, get Trent wide, and just try and get crosses into Dominic Calvert Lewin and Harry Kane to win headers. But you're kind of taking away one of our options there and direct free kicks as well. There's not many better than than Prowsey, but you know, it's still a pretty good squad. Like, even if you can leave those players out and not really feel like we're missing any gaping holes, then that's that's kind of impressive still. Mm. James Ward-Prowse, he's one of my champ man, 2008 heroes. Nice. 
Uh, yeah, back when he was about 16 years old, and you bring him up, and then by the time he's a young starter, you've got the regen of Ryan Giggs, who back at that time hadn't been arrested yet. And those were the good <laughs> days. Those were, were good days. Yeah. When we get to Wales, don't you bloody worry, when we get to Wales in the group stages, we're going to be talking about Ryan Giggs allegedly headbutting his partner, because fuck that guy. And it's a real shame to have to say it because he's a footballing legend. But at some time, you just got to say, don't headbutt your girlfriend. And ultimately, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really feel like it takes that much to say. So, so that's, that's all good. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to, to getting into that. What about the inclusion of Harry Maguire in what was the world's most uh, seamless segue there? <laughs> um, because... Again, I'm not that up to date on my football. So the things that I really know is I love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm, <laughs> I'm um, like, what would, what would the word be? A temporary Man United supporter whilst Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is managing Manchester United. Yeah. Um, but boy, did they fuck up that Europa League final, Dave. I'm not happy about that. Um, but but Harry Maguire didn't play in that Europa League final because of an injury that he's going to be carrying through um, into the Euros as well like is it even worth bringing him when you know maybe he can play maybe he can't but as you say like we've got John Stones you've got Kyle Walker you've got Luke Shaw you've got all of these like world-class championship winning defenders why bother taking one who's like maybe going to be injured i i think this is one of those instances where a player's influence off the pitch works in his favor as well um and he's not listed as one of the captains and we've got harry kane as captain jordan henderson vice captain but i think if both of them are off the pitch the armband goes to harry Maguire. so he has those leadership qualities and he's seen as very much being that rock in defense and I think the, we were excited about seeing if they were playing four at the back, a centre-half partnership of him and John Stones, who's had a great season at Man City. We were like, this is like this is like Terry Ferdinand potential. This could be a real partnership that solidifies our defence. And it's a bit, it has shades of other uh, tournaments in the past where we took some big-name players who weren't necessarily 100% fit. Um, and uh, did they pay off? I can't remember. I know Michael Owen went into a World Cup a bit unfit and then busted his knee in the first game. Oh. And Wayne Rooney and David Beckham have both gone to tournaments oh. with broken bones in their feet. Yeah. And so if if England get out of the group stages and uh, and are presuming that Harry Maguire isn't fit to compete in them, that's a great injection of, of freshness to have to bring into the knockout the knockout rounds when, you know, we might be if we if England win, they might be winning by a goal and, you know, the defence is going to come into their own really. Whereas some of these group games you expect it's just going to be a case of England scoring enough goals and not having to worry about much of a threat coming back back at, the, at them the other way. So I think, it, yeah, I think it's absolutely worth taking him. Um, and there there isn't any glaring omissions in his place. Like if you say, if you didn't want to risk it, like with um, Mason Greenwood uh, not being fit, who would you take instead? And it's like, well, Eric Dyer was, is the most experienced player, I think, who was left out. Um, I don't think he was even included in the 33, was he? And he's had like, he's got 45 caps for England. Um, and I go on and off about whether I like him. <laughs> like some days he plays like a quality centre-half where he's played as a holding midfield player and then in other times he seems like such a liability. 
So this maybe looks to be a bit like Southgate going, you're not my man, <laughs> Eric Dyer. I think it's going to be you. And then uh, Bed Godfrey and Ben White centre-halves were added into the 33, but they've never been capped. And again, they're young and they've had good seasons, so their future may be more um, in Gareth Southgate's vision. And then Michael Keane is the only other centre-half who didn't make it to final cut. And again, like I don't think he's really that good, to be honest. He's, I mean, he's fine, but Harry Maguire is kind of our standout defender. So, yeah, ultimately, I think it's worth worth including him. Mm, okay then. People seem happy with the England squad. Yeah, I'd say I've not heard many, many grumblings. Um, do you know, is there is there anyone that you would have uh, liked to have seen included that wasn't? Not really, but because I don't have BT Sports or Sky Sports, I don't get to watch that many, uh, many of the big games. So. I've I've been able to catch up on a few of the the finals, especially because they've put them on YouTube. Like BT Sports has shown um, the Europa League and the Champions League final on YouTube, which has been great for me. But the one thought I've had with both of those was, God, Marcus Rashford, great guy, but and then Raheem Sterling. Oh yeah, great guy, but has been my general feeling watching both of them play. And yes, they are both playing in, you know, you know, in big finals where they're playing against teams that have spent hours designing their defences to stop these players. Like their whole job is to stop these particular players. Stop Marcus Rashford, stop Raheem Sterling. But the fact that there is a trope around Marcus Rashford that says, oh yeah, Rashford plays like trash, and then he scores at the last minute, suggests to me that Rashford actually is not that good of a player. The fact that, that you can have a you can have a whole like stereotype that, oh yeah, he's not gonna do anything for like 85 minutes, and then he's just gonna bang one in. Suggest that like playing him is like rolling a dice and hoping that the, you know, like rolling on the roulette wheel and hope it lands on Marcus Rashford because if it doesn't, then you've just wasted one of your your, your playing spots, um, and you know this is just from from what I've had with conversations with other people, but it's things like. I know we we've we have learned over the last two years that Marcus Rashford is a good public figure, and all of the critiques that were leveled at Raheem Sterling at the last World Cup, they were like, "Oh yeah, he's got a gun tattoo, and his name's Raheem." It's like uh, Marcus Rashford came in and was like, "Yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to help starving children," and the media is kind of like, "Oh, oh no." <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but Marcus Rashford, you're 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 a black player, so you've got there's got to be something that we can get you for. So no, I I help I help uh, starving children, and I have conversations with Barack Obama, and I insult Boris Johnson. And he's like, no, <laughs> Marcus Rashford, why haven't you get go and get a tattoo that we can get, attack you for? And it's like he's just like genuinely someone who's uh, he topped this year. Marcus Rashford topped the. Uh, donations list per percentage of earnings. He donated 125% of his earnings this year to 
Really? Yes. He is wow. the, the he is the the highest per percentage of their like millionaire who donated the most of his money in a year. The next person below him donated like forty two percent and he donated hundred and twenty six percent of his his earnings. Is that money. just um in the UK or is that global? I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. I, that that stat was just it was just in the UK. That's okay. not to say he's donated the most, because some of them are like billionaires donating twenty percent. But like he donated all of his salary for one year and more. That's right. pro- at least well, he, he's probably on a, like a hundred grand Million, a week or whatever. It's millions. Right? Yeah, so that's millions, so, it's millions. millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, good luck trying to come at Marcus Rashford for you know not being a good enough role model. On the flip side, if he could perform a little bit better on the football field, that would also be nice. You know, like and watching him play for United against Villarreal a few nights ago was just like. It was stressful. It was stressful to be like, oh, he's done it again. Oh, and he always oh, done it again. And I was talking with uh, with Steve, awful commentary founder, and we did the the Super League po- uh, podcast together as well. And he's a Man United fan, and we were watching that, and he was just sending like from the beginning of the match, like maybe we need to sell Marcus Rashford. And then ten minutes later, yeah, I, I think I'm going to sell Marcus Rashford. Yeah, I've loaded up Football Manager so I can sell Marcus Rashford. And it was that <laughs> that kind of level of frustration. And watching Raheem Sterling play in the Champions League final was the same thing again, where it's like, these are our superstar key players, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like if you have to compare compare the the way I've seen them play with the way like Mbappe plays, it doesn't seem to be much of a, uh, I don't know, it's not much of a, a contest. Yeah, maybe Mbappe is a is a is a comparison too far. Um, but they're the same. They're playing at the same level, you know, and they are similar ages. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and then, they no, play in the same up, position. Right. Opens up the question of though is is league uh, comparable to the Premier League, um, and are the cup competitions as as trying as as they are in, no, in well, England? I, and not sure. No, they that's, are. yeah, that's that's fair. But that's but probably you, why Paris was a great place for Mbappe to go because it meant that he could just express himself and go yeah. nuts um, f- for like uh, you know. 80% of the games a season because there isn't a team he's going to come up against that can stop him. And so that's going to do great things for his confidence and therefore, you know, and help him as a, in the, for his national team. Whereas the, 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 the platitude always levied at the Premier League is that it's the most competitive league in the world where every, every week you have to, there's, you can't walk any games. No. And yeah, anyone could be anyone. Burnley can beat Man United and Fulham could beat Man City, but you know, in league uh, and in the Bundesliga, as we've talked about, it's like a basically a two-team league. Well, it's a one-team league, basically. La Liga is usually a two-team league, but then Atletico have come in and displaced the two of them this year, and that's happened on and off over the last few decades, where one team will just supplant the big two, and then but that won't last, and they'll get back on top. Um, Italy um, is a little bit has been a bit more um, one team for the last few years with Juventus ever since Ronaldo went there. He just wins everything wherever he goes. But then this year, Inter have won it. So there's a bit more competitive, but you're looking at three or four teams maybe that have um, a fiercer fiercer um, confrontations and then the rest of the league is just filler. So, with, yeah, with the Premier League is so is so different. And, you know, what do, what do they say? 
like sure he can do it at the Parc de Prince, um, you know, ten games. Uh, sorry, yeah, eighty percent of the games of the season. But could he do it on a rainy Tuesday night in Stoke? <laughs> <laughs> probably, uh, probably not. But yeah, so with Raheem Sterling and with Marcus Rashford, I feel like players who play in the Premier League go through a greater level of fatigue throughout the season and have at least this season shown to kind of curtail as the season comes to an end because you know I, I don't know if you can really excuse poor form on fatigue but they clearly haven't been showing their best and Sterling hasn't really scored uh, much at all this season and even though City went on, went on to win the league so obviously he's not as key for them as Perhaps he has been in the past. I think Rash, uh, Marcus Rashford, is, his goals in Europe were good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, eight goals in 13 games. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty great record, but only 11 in the league. Um, but I don't know if I agree. Um, I was going to ask, actually, if it, it was Steve you were speaking to about Rashford and whether that trope of him doing nothing for 80 minutes and then doing something magical really... I don't really agree with when I watch Marcus Rashford, I feel like you can tell from the first five or 10 minutes whether he's going to have a good game or not. Because he always kind of puts it in, uh, puts a, a shift in, um, and at least tries. But I feel like if he's if he gets close or scores early or yeah or has a couple of um, good opportunities that don't quite go in or he get you know some some he gets a, someone gets a block in, in the last second like that shows that he's on the ball. Whereas if he's had a few shots in the first half hour of the game and they've all gone miles wide or he's not really chasing after the ball and he's not really making good incisive runs. He's probably not going to have a good game. You could probably take him off at that point and be like, "It's not to you, not your day, Marcus." Because uh, yeah, as you've said, sometimes he isn't the star that you should be. He doesn't have that kind of consistency. But if he is on, and he is playing at his best, yeah, he'd be real a real danger for us. Um, I suppose the issue is in terms of positioning because I think they both would like to play on the left mm-hmm. wing, Sterling and Rashford, and they're neither of them are in great form. But they are two of our most high-profile players. And if you try and shoehorn them into one team, you're going to end up playing at least one of them out of position, at which point you might as well not play them at all. I feel like you've got a perfect opportunity for the super sub with each of them. Right. Yeah. Where you, you play Croatia and you start Marcus Rashford. And then in the 60th minute, oh yeah, by the way, here's Raheem Sterling. Yeah, talk about talk about an impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, if you're Croatia, it's like, oh no, <laughs> like, come yeah. on, you kind of, you know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a, a great um, strategy that could be implemented by some clever manager who goes, "I'm not going to put my best eleven players out from the yeah. start because I don't have I'm gonna, to. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to make a really balanced team. Yeah. So maybe I've got you know. I've got a 9 out of 10 on the right wing. I've got mm-hmm. a 10 out of 10 at, at centre forward, but I'm going to play a 6 or 7 out of 10 on the left wing because he's, I don't know, whatever you want to do, left-footed so he can whip in crosses, or he's right-footed and he's going to cut in, or he's at least going to, he's going to track back the opposing players, the, the opposing team's wing back. And then, yeah, I've got a 9 out of 10 on the bench that I can bring on when that side of the field is vulnerable because they're tired, and he's going to bing-bang-bong. Yeah. But then, you've you know, 9 out of 10 players want to play every minute of every game. They don't really want to... <laughs> sit on the bench but if some manager was ballsy enough and reputable enough to do that that could that could be an amazing strategy well that could be the, that could be the archer the archer legacy well you you know, the archer maneuver yes yeah, so we're going to go to star trek star trek territory yeah uh, i think that the uh, the opportune moment for the archer maneuver was missed by oligona solshire in the uh, europa 
League final where he made zero substitutions until the 118th minute. And then he went, okay, time to bring on the penalty takers. And it's like, Ollie, like you, 20 minutes ago, you could have brought on Juan Mata. You know, like, yeah, his subs bench was a, was not ideal. However, uh, uh, 110 minutes, any of them, take any of them off, bring any pair of fresh legs on after 110 minutes on the pitch, and they'll do something. Anyway, this is, uh, we're not here to talk about that. What I wanted to do was to transition somewhat over to the, the more political side of it, to the what, the big, the biggest impact um, off the pitch this this tournament by going with Phil Foden. And Phil Foden is my Captain Segway, Sergeant Segway, Phil Foden reporting for duty. <laughs> Sergeant Segway, sir. Phil Foden, a player who would not have been on this squad if it weren't for coronavirus. Dave, take it away. I don't know what you mean. I think if there was no coronavirus, the world would have been a much better place. First off, no <laughs> doubt. There. Don't, although Both maybe things. Trump would have won a second term. Oh. I don't know. Okay, we, we can't do alternate history. Alternate history 2020. Trump's won a second term. But before that, the Euros have taken place. Mm. And Phil Foden hasn't gone. Because he hasn't developed enough for Man City to be someone who's just coming off the bench in the previous season. Phil Foden, he was just coming in, he was doing his bit, he was developing as a player. But it's this season where Phil Foden's come on, oh my God, he's like a, he's like Quicksilver from X-Men. He's like <laughs> the, the Flash. He's like a Jolteon. He's, he's a superstar. It's like a new, a new flash of lightning has appeared at Man City. And they actually, he's a player that they developed. Who knew that could happen? The Man City could actually develop an English player. And they've done it, and he's great. But if it had been the Euros 2020, he wouldn't have made the impact necessary to get him onto the, to get him onto the squad as he is this year. What do you reckon about that? Am I just putting it out of my ass? No, I think you might actually be onto something there. Because you're, you're absolutely right. This has been the season where he has come on leaps and bounds and... We mentioned that Raheem Sterling has not been key for Man City this season, but he has. And I think um, in terms of his development, he was try. They wanted to kind of uh, fill uh, the void left by David Silva when David Silva left Man City. And he's Phil Foden is very much uh, very similar to David Silva in that he's very cultured, he's very skillful, he's very he's got an amazing vision for a pass, and he makes very clever runs. Um, but he, I think he's he's a lot more mobile than David Silva ever was, even when he was young. But um, the last thing, I can't remember when it was. It was in last year, wasn't it, where Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood were both ejected from the England squad for breaching COVID yeah. protocols. Yeah, And, yeah. yeah, I think that showed at that point that he was immature and made poor choices. I think he's a couple of years older than Mason Greenwood. But um, to go from that to being yeah, one, of the most, one of the most key players in a, in a title-winning Man City team, yeah, I think you're 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 absolutely right. He was just a a youngster, but a year ago, and now I I think you have to start him. That's it. This is the, this is Sergeant Segway Phil Foden podcast now from <laughs> from here on out. Yeah, I wanted to use him to kind of 
to to take that that chance to go across to talk about coronavirus because as you say th- that was the first time i'd even heard of him was when him and uh mason greenwood the first time i'd heard of both of them i think was when they were just you know they were messing around outside of covid rules and then it was like well you if you mess around later's taters yeah you know and so now they've they've had that chance to come back, and it's a shame that Mason Greenwood is isn't going to be there that he is injured. Yeah, it's that kind of that chance for maturity. But this is going to be you know how how many teams are there in taking part in it's well four six six groups of four teams. How's your maths? Uh, six groups of four is twenty four. Twenty four. So there's twenty four. There's twenty four teams, but really there's twenty five teams. Because we have Team COVID making an appearance, and that cheeky little bugger is gonna is gonna be a, is gonna be a shadow over all of it. They're gonna be like, oh, who was the top goal scorer? Oh, it was it was COVID because all of the teams went home diseased, and COVID <laughs> COVID took it for the win. COVID on the back of this shirt, nineteen is a squad number. Yeah, and oh god damn it, he got another one. As long as he doesn't get Casper Schmeichel, that's that's for me. That's the most important thing. Is that like when um, people were when the pandemic was at its worst? People were saying, "Somebody go, somebody protect David Attenborough. Don't yeah. just wrap him up in cotton wool and, and yeah. lock him away so he can't be touched by this thing." And you feel the same way about Casper. I I just want to wrap Casper Schmeichel up in cotton wool anyway. Yeah, just like by <laughs> hand, very regardless. gently. Yeah, regardless. Lay him of down on else. your bed. Yeah. Oh, Casper, you look like I, I me, mean, but so much more handsome. I loved how. Well, I don't know. You're on a par. <laughs> um, yeah, cheers. I, I, my respect you don't need to, and love you don't for... need to flirt with me like that to get me into bed. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, it, I thought it was it was wonderful kind of um, it's sort of confluence of the life sometimes throws at you where we spent years talking about Casper Schmeichel and how much you love Casper Schmeichel and then we watched the FA Cup final. Yeah. And I was like, now admittedly not as fervently as you but I love Kasper Schmeichel too not only from a footballing sense where he basically say he won the, I, think he, I think he won the FA Cup final yeah, yeah. And that, was, that was some of and this is just regardless of who the keeper was that final 20 minutes was some of the best football I've seen and some of the best goalkeeping I've ever seen in that final yeah. 20 minutes just unbelievable yeah so I've always thought he was a good goalkeeper and a, and a good leader um, but then yeah I saw him yeah, one of the best goalkeeping performances that I can remember in a long time. And actually, thinking about it, that game, that was one of the best finals I've seen in yeah. a long time. And then yeah. we watched the Europa League final. And oh, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, but then that kind of made me feel good. It was like, yeah, the FA Cup is special. Mm-hmm. Everyone talks about it being special. Even like foreign managers and players talk about how the FA Cup is special. And you kind of wonder about whether that is just a bit of a platitude and kind of a bit of a bit of ass kissing but actually it is it's it's a magical thing and then the, then the way casper um we, we're a first name basis oh yeah. oh yeah um and the way the way casper um handled and and represented the team after the game was just mm-hmm. just exemplary and emotional and yeah. we'll save it for when we get to group b oh because when we get to group b will it's gonna be the casper schmeichel episode <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about it. Well, yeah, when we when we get to that. But again, I need to fill Foden, Sergeant Segway back to COVID again because I've lost my 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 mind dreaming about about Casper Schmeichel, the friendly Schmeichel. 
Yeah, you just didn't want him to get get taken. You I didn't to want him to get taken by COVID, no. Yeah. But that is that is going to be the biggest influence. It already is. And the thing is, it's not just the biggest influence on the Euros as well, because at the same time as the Euros, we've got the Copa America. Copa, Copa America. America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a little Taz the Tasmanian Devil reference there. Um, the Copa, <laughs> Amer- Copa America taking place at uh, at the same time. Uh, which was supposed to be being hosted, I think, in Argentina and and possibly Colombia as well. I think it was being hosted in two nations. But then it was just removed in Argentina because coronavirus uh, coronavirus is so bad in Argentina at this point. So they mm. went, it's, the coronavirus is too dangerous in Argentina at the moment, so we're going to have to move it somewhere else. Where shall we move it? They decided to move it to Brazil. Now... I messaged my friend Mark, uh, who is Brazilian, and hopefully I will have a chance to talk to him about the Copa America as it kind of takes place, the Copa America, as it takes place uh, around the same time. (laughs) And uh, I I said to Mark, uh, moving the Copa America from Argentina to Brazil because of coronavirus sounds like moving your hand from one fire into a slightly different fire. And... I gen- that's how it generally feels, I think, with the Copper America, because Brazil has the second largest death toll from COVID in the world, and it's still yeah. raging, but they also have a president who refused to admit that it's a problem, which, you know... I do remember that, actually. Yes, yeah. yes, which is probably why uh, they have the second largest death toll in the world, because, the- <laughs> because you've got uh, Captain Insanity... Jeb Bolsonaro, in charge of Brazil. Uh, trying to kill as many of his own people as he can. Um, yeah. hmm. And now bringing in all of these South American football teams to massive protest. There are huge protests over this. And the, because the reason it was moved from Argentina was because Argentinians were protesting about it. Like, we can't host this tournament. We're all dying. So Bolsonaro was like, we'll do it instead. Um, so that's the Copa America. Back over in Europe for the Euros. That's not fun. Yeah, I wish we had a great cartoon theme song. Ah. Uh, what's we'll uh, one... Uh, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have a thing. For the Euros, this is the first tournament where it's not just being hosted in one country. Right? Or two, one or two countries. This is the first one where it's like, oh, we're in... Glasgow and we're in Portugal and we're in Italy and we're we're bloody everywhere. Baku, so, right? Is that one? Azerbaijan. Baku, Azerbaijan. Yes, <laughs> I wanted to bring up Baku, Azerbaijan because uh, Welsh fans who go to Baku, Azerbaijan aren't going to need to take uh, COVID precautions. They're not going to need to quarantine when they get there because the Azerbaijan government is like, no, come on in. If you've been to Swansea, we don't care. Come to Baku. And generally, if you've been to Swansea, quarantine anyway, regardless of coronavirus. Just, you know, <laughs> you know that's just a, a little dig at so Swansea. Rude. That's a little dig at Swansea. But this idea of hosting it in different countries seems nice, unless you're Azerbaijan or Romania, who are hosting games but aren't actually in the tournament, which fucking sucks. Like, it would be like hosting the World Cup in Qatar and saying that Qatar can't play, which would make more sense than hosting it in Romania and then saying that Romania can't play because Romania a far superior side to Qatar. I think I'm just going to throw that out there. You're probably right. Yeah, We don't yeah. have to check the FIFA World Rankings for that one. Yeah, I, I'm going to be comfortable enough to say that I reckon that's probably true. 
And Romania also doesn't use slave labour to, uh, to, to build its footballing prowess. But anyway, anyway. This seems like the worst possible year to decide to host all of the games in different countries. Right? Like when the NBA in America decided it was going to come back and finish the season, they moved everyone to Disneyland. So why do they think that it's a good idea to host this thing in every single country in Europe and hope that uh, everyone doesn't die? Oh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it makes way more sense to put them all in a, in a bubble. But I don't know, maybe there, was just, there wasn't the infrastructure in place anywhere to do it so last minute. Why didn't they just put them the... in the Olympic Village? The London yeah. Olympic Village. I was, and just say, have it all... I was just reading that that's one of the reasons Brazil got chosen for the Copa America. Is they, all, they have all that stadium infrastructure from the Olympics and from the World Cup still. And it means, I think the, the other alternatives were either Qatar, having the Copa America in Qatar or having it in the United States. Right. So I think they just kind of erred on the side of, well, let's try and keep it in the right continent at least. Um, yeah, and like you say, Brazil, and there's probably quite a lot of corruption involved in that decision as well. Um, but we don't have no evidence to back that up. I'm just presuming. <laughs> Sorry, Corruption in the Copa America. I don't believe it for a second. I've got one for the Euros. Right? On do you remember Biker Mice from Mars? Uh, do, do, do I remember the Biker yeah. Mice from Mars? Yeah, go on then. 20. Uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in. If that's edited out, I'm going I'm to riot. Biker Mice from Mars. Euro 2021. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> you can Euro 2020 almost works. It's the one that messes well, up. I thought I was going to... I was about to say Euro 2012. And if, if only if it was mm. 2012, it would have been fine. But Okay, what about it? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Euro 2021. Euro 2021. Okay, right. I'm going to write the lyrics for that for that next one. Okay, I think that might work. Whales playing in Baku. Azerbaijan. I've done it. I've done it. We're going to keep going. All right. Excellent. So, <laughs> I have no idea what I was going to say next. I've I've got lost. I've got lost in in the world of nineties uh, cartoon themes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baku and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, what was I saying? The biggest problem with this new way of of hosting in different countries, like Group A, for example, Group A, uh, who consists of uh, Italy. Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. Uh, one, some of the games are being held in Italy, but Switzerland, Wales, uh, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales also have to travel to Azerbaijan, yeah. um, which doesn't seem to make much sense. But then we have Group D, where we have um, England, Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, as I'm sure everyone can imagine. Um, Croatia and the Czech Republic were supposed to be staying and training in Scotland so that the group could be held with matches in Glasgow uh, and in London. But now the COVID situation in Scotland has become so extreme that both the Croatia and and the Czech Republic have decided, "Eh, we're just going to stay in our own countries and we'll fly in for the games. And that sucks, to my mind. Yeah, just the, the traveling is not a great precursor to having to play, uh, uh, you know, in an in international tournament. No. I know, like it, in Russia and in other and in Brazil, the World Cups, they are such big countries that the teams would have to maybe fly from their training centers to the games. But you know, it's an hour, two hours, or whatever. But yeah, to travel halfway across, well, maybe the entire breadth of the continent 
to yeah. play a game only to fly all the way back. Yeah, that's not going to do the players any favours. No, and also it does the tournament no favours, and it does the environment no favours, and it does the spreading of the global pandemic no favours. Like, yeah. the whole thing seems to me as if it has been organised by the world's most corrupt sporting body, which, you know, coincidentally it has. So... Well, maybe is it second most? Because I know UEFA and FIFA aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, so would you put UEFA a second place behind FIFA? I always just assume they're part of the same mafia organisation, where FIFA is like the Don Corleone. Yeah, and, yeah. and UEFA is just the strong man they sent to Europe to, you know... Yeah, there's all these... Because yeah, all the different families exist un- underneath yeah. the Corleone umbrella. Yeah. So, yeah, there's the UEFA family and the Conca-Ca-Ca-Ca-Ca family and the, you yeah. know, all the other ones. Yeah. And exactly, that's what it's like. And then when you are, you've got a couple of billionaires and you've got a couple of billionaires saying they're going to make their own Super League, do you? Oh, shame if something happened to Glasgow. Yeah. Kind of like that. send them a message. Yeah, and they did. So, you know, I'm not saying that it's corrupt, but it is, and I am saying that. <laughs> so first, so first you, um, you slandered Russia... And then move to Russia, <laughs> yeah. and, but yet remain safe. So I think maybe slandering a highly corrupt mafia-like organization on the on the internet, you're, you're pushing your luck a little. Maybe I am a little bit. I did. I did spend a lot of who watches the World Cup saying Russian oligarchs are scum, and then immediately went to work with Russian oligarchs. <laughs> so what that says about me, I don't know. But I wanted my relationship to work. I suppose would have would have been it. And what about all that life experience, you know? That's, yes. That's irreplaceable. Yeah, you know, but I found out that actually all of the, the beliefs that I held about it were true. And I, I was correct. So, so there's nothing yeah, like confirmation yeah. bias. <laughs> when you can then go gather the evidence to prove it. Yeah, it was a scientific study. Are oh, Russian yes. oligarchs scum? And the answer was yes. Well, there you go. So, yes. Yeah. Apologies to all of the uh, Russian oligarchs who listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to my old employers. Yeah, I know you fired me for trying to stop your children from being racist, but uh, you're, you're not so bad, really. Fuckers. The group stages, Dave, of the Euros. Some of these groups are lining up and they're looking pretty tasty. So we'll quickly go through the groups then I want you to pick out not who's going to win every group because we'll get into that when we talk about the groups individually, but who okay. you think um, who you think is going to win the tournament, and then who your uh, who you would like to win the tournament. So we have Group A: uh, Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales, who famously are playing in Rome and Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, we've got Group B: Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. Uh, who I will not be supporting. We've got Group C, uh, the Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia. We've got Group D. <laughs> group D, England, Croatia, Scotland, Czech Republic. Who are you rooting in that group, Dave? Scotland. Yeah, good shout. Group E, <laughs> Spain, Sweden, Poland, and Slovakia. Group F, Hungary, Portugal, France, Germany. You said off-pod before we started. Group F looks like a group of death. Which is a fantastic rhyme that can also have a 90s theme song of its own. So, <laughs> Hungary, Portugal, France, Germany, only two can go through. Who's it going to be? France and Germany. 
Whoa, he's called it straight off. Okay. Straight off. The when line. we get to Group F, we are going to get our friend uh, Luisian Riggs back from the uh, from who watched the World Cup previously. I haven't asked him yet, but I'm I've decided. We've decided he's coming back. We've decided he's coming back. Yes. <laughs> um, group C to me looks like the group, the easiest group. Like if you're the Netherlands, you're like, hey, we might actually have a chance of getting through this thing. Um, Since we're actually there... going to this tournament, unlike the last one. <laughs> yeah. Are there any of these groups that, like, you're that you think like, what's the most exciting group going to be? Other than Group F, the group of death. Which one are you like? Oh, that's going to have some good games. I'm actually looking at Group D and thinking that those are probably the four best teams in one, any one particular group. But with all the other groups, I found it quite easy to pick who would come last. Yes. Um, or at least uh, who would not be going through. But with Group D, I'm not, I'm not actually super confident. In, uh, I, 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 uh, yeah, I don't want to get into it too much. But I, I've, I have gone for Scotland to finish bottom, but I think they could upset Croatia or, or the Czech Republic. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are just good teams scattered around. And you mentioned about Group C. Ukraine actually had a really strong qualification campaign. Um, so I think that's one to look out for. And certainly a team, the team in that group that Holland will be most worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, it's nice to... I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but... It's nice that all of the major nations in Europe are here this time and they're all looking quite strong. So it might mean that we have some quite heavyweight, um, some heavyweight encounters in the later knockout rounds. But at the same time, like we, we thought in the World Cup, or at least I thought in the World Cup, about a lot of teams and they end up being completely wrong, that the big strong teams actually caved and were absolutely awful, just didn't show up. And it meant that smaller nations got to go to the knockout stages and if anything, I'm going to correct myself. Those are more entertaining, entertaining games. So, um, so yeah, if the big countries don't do well, I think that would be quite an entertaining surprise. Uh, okay. Unlike when we weren't so sure about about some of them before. Yeah, who's who's your probable pick for? Again, we're going to exclude England from from this because that's too close to home, literally. But who who do you reckon is going to win it? Who would you like to win it? Um, well, I did one of these like, um, Euro, Euro 2020 predictor chart things where I picked the order in which the groups would finish and then who would win the knockout games that that dictates. And I've got as far as the semifinals and I, I don't know how to pick between probably, actually it's more like four or five teams I think will be there or thereabouts. I'm not quite sure on. So you're making this I, real complicated, Dave. I know, but I can't pick between France, Belgium, Holland, Spain, and England. Also, oh, Germany. You don't reckon you reckon France are gonna France or someone's gonna knock Germany out? Well, the way I've got it shaking out, England have to get past Germany in the round of sixteen. Oh God! <laughs> so, as much my faith in England got me past that, and then the next, the quarterfinals, I had us up against Spain, and then that draws us up against Holland in the semi-finals. But I'm finding I'm second guessing myself and my bias here. So um so I can't t- I can't tell you who I think is going to win because okay. I I really I really don't know and I'm terrible at predictions. But who would I like to win? And I'm not allowed to say England? No. Wales. <laughs> okay. 
All right, interesting. Wales. Is that just a Brit- is that just a British bias? I always I I do want to see British teams do well, yeah. And I've got a little bit of Welsh family, and I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for the Welsh um, national sides, rugby as well as as well as football. Um, and it'll be great to see Gareth Bale be the like Ronaldo equivalent for his country and mm-hmm. just and as has been spoken about especially when he was not being played at Madrid he cares way more about Wales than he does about especially Real Madrid and you know uh, he's had a, a decent he had a decent enough season at Spurs he you know didn't set the world on fire but you know he played all right got fit scored some goals um showed some of his quality but I think he'll really be looking to showcase that for his country so I'd like to see that um, and especially with all the, I know we're going to get into the Ryan Giggs thing, but you know they've got they're basically their assistant manager is leading them this time through, so that'd be a great little fairy tale. And do you remember the last Euros, how far Wales got when no one thought they were going to get that far? How Robson Carnu, the hero who didn't even make the squad this time, which is a bit sad. So yeah, in terms of like the underdog side, I'd like to see Wales Wales go far. Um, don't know, maybe a dark horse Poland. Oh, interesting. I'd like to see Lewandowski do what he does for Munich, for Poland, and drag them through mm. a few rounds, and they could be a surprise package. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know, man. I want to just watch it happen. I, I don't want to have too much riding on my trying to make my guesses uh, manifest. Or, oh, you're gonna uh, love my. Control. You're gonna love my choices then. Because well, I've got I've got a little bit of a a, a hunch about who you, what you're going to say. Okay, what do you reckon I'm going to say? You're going to say that your team that you'd like to win it, yes, is North Macedonia. How did you know? Was it that when <laughs> I said North Macedonia, I got really excited about it? Yeah, I'm sure I could see you throw your hands up in the air, but the people listening <laughs> probably heard the flutter in your voice. Reasons for North Macedonia to win this tournament. Number one, best flag. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't. Uh, let me get. Let me have a look at it. That is a pretty cool flag. It's yeah. a great flag. It's a... <sighs> yeah. Do you so, know what that makes me think of though? What's that? That that flag is is similar to their previous flag when they were the FYR. Former Yugoslavia. Former Yugoslavia. No. Former Yugoslavia Republic, Republic of Macedonia. Macedonia. Yeah. yeah. So, but what that reminds me of is when England played Macedonia in whatever um, form they were in at the time at St Mary Stadium in Southampton, and the Macedonian fans had tons of their own flags and then set fire to English flags and stuff in the stands. So, um, I don't have greatest memories associated with that with that flag. I'm afraid. The burning of flags is very unfortunate. I'm not, but I'm, I'm not, that was, you know, barely even the same country at that point. Secondly, North Macedonia sound like they could be a Scottish footballing side announced by a, a channel, uh, the, the Radio 5 uh, footballing guy. You know, where it's like Queen's Park Rangers versus North Macedonia Thistle. <laughs> 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 that's, that's another reason to love them. Also, uh, yeah, it's just great. I love North Macedonia. Um, if they if they could get through, it would be a giant middle finger to Greece, who didn't even make it, and that's quite hilarious. And to uh, Serbia, right? Oh, oh, just you wait, Dave. Just you wait till we get to Group C. We're going to have some, some good political discussions to have there. With uh, Who Watches the World Cup, we tried to keep the episodes a little bit shorter. 
than we do with daddy issues where we tend to go on and on and on. But there was one final piece of introduction that you really wanted to get into, I know. And that was, we were talking about England. England, England. You can't pronounce it England for the next month and a half. No, it's 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 three syllables now. Yes, England, yes. You want to talk about the difficult time that England even had getting to this tournament. Because we've seen before, especially with the Euros, there are times when uh, we don't make it, and that's pretty embarrassing. And the nation looks at ourselves and goes, geez, Brexit really didn't work out, did it? <laughs> so what what happened this, this time on the road to the Euros, even where we're hosting the semifinals, we're hosting the final in both in Wembley, like, uh, what what was the the highway to hell that we had to to get through? It's a very <laughs> musical episode that we had to get through to uh, to to the Euros this time. Well, what I said to you when I was looking at the qualification um, campaign was that England's qualification was insane, and I didn't mean that to mean that it was difficult. Oh, okay. I meant that to mean that it was... Did I sing the wrong song? Should I have been singing Insane in the Membrane? It was maybe Insane in the Membrane or a little uh, yeah. Stairway to Heaven, maybe. Oh. Did, okay, if you're going to go someone, high, the opposite did... to Highway to Hell. Yeah, no, England's qualification, as is in a lot of my living memory of the qualification for major tournaments, England always qualify really well. I don't know why that is, and I guess it's because qualification encompasses all of the UEFA... Um, sanctioned countries so and the groups are five nations e- uh, big so you're going to get some some minnows thrown into each each group and england never seemed to really have trouble getting through them in in qualification so of the eight qualification games england won seven of them only conceded six goals scored 37 goals in eight That's games which nice. i think has only really been beat i think only belgium scored more goal in qualification. they scored like 40 goals in qualification Partly helped because they beat San Marino like 9-0 or something. Um, yeah, San Marino really got it coming. <laughs> it's one of those countries, and, and England had some uh, them in our group too, where they just they never win anything. I think at least that's what was expected of Kosovo. And uh, when they, th- I was expecting them to be another San Marino or Liechtenstein or Luxembourg, one of those teams who barely scores a goal, let's, let alone wins a game. But actually, Kosovo finished third in our qualification group. They won three of their eight games, which was was really impressive. But oh yeah, England's England's run through was just like almost in a, a, a series of embarrassing, almost because we're English and we, if we do really well, we get embarrassed about it. But uh, <laughs> like we beat we won we beat Czech Republic five nil, then we beat Montenegro five one, then we beat Bulgaria four nil, um, then we beat uh, then we lost the, our one game to the Czech Republic in Prague two one. Then we won against Bulgaria 6-0 in that game that was fucking terrifying because of all of the the uh, militant right-wing fans that were in the group with their, their banners and monkey chants and England walked off the pitch a bunch of times. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, when we get to Group D, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll get into that a bit. Yeah, so 6-0 there. Then next game was at home against Montenegro. We won 7-0 and then we beat Kosovo 4-0. Um, and in the midst of all that, there was the game at St Mary's, my local stadium, against Kosovo, which was 5-3, which was the only really interesting game of that run where uh, Kosovo actually scored first and then we were 5-1 up at half-time and then they, they scored two more in the second half. It was just kind of a, an insane game, but I remember I was watching that and messaging you 
because we had talked about Kosovo in Who Watches the World Cup 2018. Oh, yeah. With regards to Switzerland and, uh, is that Albania? Serbia. Serbia. Switzerland-Serbia mm. game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, Jordan Shakiri and Granit Xhaka's um, Kosovan ties. And what are we uh, we nicknamed their... Uh, their uh, bird celebrations, flipping the bird. Flipping the bird, yeah. And we were watching Kosovo and England going, yeah, we great. wouldn't it be great if uh, Kosovo do well and then they scored in the first two minutes and then I was kind of like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> what have we done? But then I think you were probably like, yeah, fucking get in. <laughs> yeah, Kosovo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although when they scored, they didn't. none of them ever flipped the bird in any of their celebrations, which was just disappointing. Um <laughs> But yeah, it, it was that it was that way round. It was that England's qualification was a breeze, mm. um, and if uh, as I was sort of going through the groups, thinking about who I of the, of the actual tournament and how I think the groups are going to shake up, you take the qualification into consideration, and very few teams had it quite as easy. Um, well, like it, Germ- is, it Germany is had the same record. It is reasonably concerning that the one team who beat us also happened to be in our group. Czech Republic, yeah. Yes. Although we we, we beat them 5-0, so I'm like, hey, that's good, they're in our group. And then they beat us, and I'm like, oh, no, they're in our group. And that, <laughs> to me, is a very England response. And this is something that me and Steve have spoken about with, um, uh, with Manchester United as well, where you watch Manchester United play, and even though they were, like, second in the league, um, they got to the Europa League final, you know, they, they didn't win, but they got to the final. Yeah. Every time I watch Manchester United play under under Solskjaer, I constantly feel like I'm waiting for something to go wrong. Whereas when it's like, say it's like, uh, it's nil-nil and you're watching Manchester City, right? You're like, eh, it's just a matter of time, really. Whereas when I watch Man United play, I'm like, oh my God, they're just going to let one in. For like, there's going to be some stupid accident and the ball's just going to go in the net and they're going to lose. Um, which is actually what ended up kind of happening in the Europa League final anyway. But there's there's always a kind of tension, I feel, with watching Man United, where I they don't seem to play with confidence, and it feels like the whole house of cards is about to collapse at any moment. Um, and England, for me, has that same thing, where it's like, hey, maybe we'll play the Czech Republic and we'll beat them 5-0. Or maybe it'll be one of those ones, you know, where we... We concede two goals to Kosovo, you know, or yeah. you know, or maybe it is the one where we play in Prague and they they beat us two one, um, and yeah, I just it's nice to have had those that easy run through, but we know that the Czech Republic can beat us because they did it on the way here, and that's you know that's going to be a, maybe a little bit more tense than I would have expected. If we had just hammered them 5-0 and then gone home, sipped some tea, had some, some scones and a couple of cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. yeah I, I guess you. I would just hope that the experience of losing to them and, them, and beating them comfortably will um, be taken into consideration in their preparations and go like, this is what we can do when we're on it and this is what happened to us when we weren't on it. So we need to be prepared and know, and they will know at least what to expect. Like you said, having gone through, um, going, gone through them in the, in the qualification process. But um, they're one of those teams that they have a, like a, two players that I hope perform really well, even though I don't want them to beat England, because they're two West Ham players, nice. Sufal and Suchek. So uh, yeah, as long as as long as they do well for their countries against um, Scotland and Croatia, against Scotland and Croatia, yeah, that's because I think yeah, I find it difficult to see beyond England and Croatia progressing 
from the group. But I, I would prefer if the Czech Republic come through with us to Croatia, really. Because um, Croatia, they've got Luka Modric still, and he's great, but I don't really care about anybody else on their team. No, I want to see Scotland. I mean, I can if 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 we get to the end of or like the before the last um, round of games in Group D and Scotland have a chance of going through, that is going to be so exciting. Because like yeah. I said, I, I will root for all the British teams as if Scotland scraped into this tournament in the first place, um, and their their standout player for well, they have two kind of standout players in my mind, and they're both left backs, Andy Robertson and and um, the fucking Arsenal guy, what's his name? Muck fucking Arsenal guy. Kieran Tierney. Jesus, they got I got there. Um yeah, they're both their best players are left backs and Robertson's also their captain, but he for me has had a pretty disappointing season with Liverpool. He just looks a shade of the player that he was in their their trophy winning seasons. Um so how they fit them both into the team, I'm not quite sure. I've not looked into how they shape up, whether they play five at the back and one of them is the wing back, one of them's the left centre half, or if they play one on left mid. I don't know, but they're, yeah, if they're, all their strength lies on one side of the pitch. Um, I'm not quite sure what might happen there, but then no one thought Wales were going to do what they did at the last one. So, who can say? What a tournament is going to be, Dave. We've got a week to go. We've got a week, and by my, by my prediction, with the only episode of Who Watches the World Cup, the original left to air is the final. Uh, so if you've been listening to Who Watches the World Cup, don't worry, you've got a, a don't try and forget what happened in 2018 because you've got the World Cup final coming up for you uh, next Wednesday. We'll try and get this up first. And then uh, our release schedule for the Euros will probably be a little bit more sporadic as we're just trying to get stuff out. Um, but we won't try and release an episode every day because that will be death. So... I hope that everyone is excited, is as excited for the Euros as I am, because I can't wait. So like, subscribe, comment, share. Last time we said share to everyone because this podcast can only last for for a month. Well, we're back, baby. And again, we can only last for a month. So get as many people to listen as you can. Dave, any any tips for our listeners? For when they go down the bookie to uh, to put their bet on, you know I'm putting a couple of quid on North Macedonia to take the take the trophy. There you should. Yeah. No, I'm I've I've no idea how gambling works, so I'm afraid my tips will be just as useless. And <laughs> if I if I was to uh, like bet on a horse race, say I'd probably just what pick the name that I thought was coolest or funniest. Would it happen to be North Macedonia for exactly the same reason? Oh, that horse has a nice flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, to, when you mentioned about the cool things about North Macedonia, I was thinking it sounds like some, uh, some like epic ancient civilization, some ancient kingdom that swept Europe. But that's because of Alexander yeah, the Great. Yeah, that's right? because it was. Yeah, yeah, there you go. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just came to me as I was saying it. Yeah. You never know if if Philip of Macedonia dies and his young teenage son takes control, they might win the Euros. And his mum's Angelina Jolie. That's exactly right. Did you know yeah. that she... Uh, no, no, we're not talking about Alexander the Great's mum. But, but you were going we'll to say that she it. was only like five years older than Colin Farrell and they played mother and son, right? No, I wasn't going to say that. That's um. also a good fact. We should save that for daddy issues. No, <laughs> I was going to talk about how is Alexander the Great's mum was like a witch and she stopped, enti- she stopped an entire battle by just standing in front of the soldiers and being like, uh, 
yeah, you guys should stop now or I'm going to turn you all into monsters. And wow. they basically stop the battle. I know, it's, it's really cool. It's cool. We'll talk about it when we get to North Macedonia. Yeah, let's do, let's do that. Okay. Thank you for listening to Who Watches the World Cup. We're back with the Euros. There's going to be politics. There's going to be football. There's going to be tears. And I can't wait to see who's going to catch coronavirus first. See you next time.